from the Abraham Lincoln Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. I go around challenging other people's kids to foot races. Apparently, that's my perfectly thing. normal. Yeah. And our executive producer, Hanson, uh, his son, I planned to race. I wasn't wearing the proper footwear. or He was ready to race right there, but I was wearing cowboy, boot, cowboy boots. Mm. And I know that he is too fast for me to be, defeat him in cowboy boots. I'm not sure I can defeat him if I wear Usain Bolt's running shoes. But I'm pretty sure this ends with a hospitalization, but it'll be exciting I to, race to my, see. I race my kids all the time. My, uh, my son's older, and he's one okay. of the fastest kids in his school. All right. But uh, sorry for my lack of faith in your uh, agility. Ability to outrun children. I apologize. <laughs> sorry, sorry for looking askance at your efforts to outrun elementary school children. Not even that, like not even like a junior high kids or high school kids. No, elementary school kids. Right. My words must have been hurtful, and I regret them. <laughs> you take them over to the tetherball pole afterwards, too, and teach them a lesson there? Yeah. Show them what's up. <laughs> Here's your... what time it is. Bam! That stings, doesn't it? That's right. <laughs> Whoever they say you are, I am! That's what I say to nine-year-olds. Every time you beat them. Every time I beat them. <laughs> nice. So, over the years, I, I remember the first time we ever talked about this. I don't know how many how many years ago could it have been, Gladys? Gladys. Gladys is getting some of the stimmy money, and she's kind of like, I'm not yeah. sure I want to come in. She didn't come in Tuesday. Do the stimmy dance, Gladys. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the stimmy dance. But I remember the first time this ever came up, and I was shocked. Uh, this was many years ago. Finding out that uh, particularly black people don't stand for the national anthem, and 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 you know, and don't like it, find it offensive, and that was news to me. I didn't know anybody was offended by the national anthem. Um, and we got on the conversation and took all kinds of phone calls. It was that long ago and that sort of thing. But uh, so that topic has come up multiple times over the year. And then, you know, since the national anthem has become a whole different thing with Colin Kaepernick kneeling and some sports deciding to get rid of it and blah, 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 right. blah, blah. The whole are you kneeling? Are you not kneeling? If you're not kneeling, are you a racist? Blah, blah, blah. So finally, a poll on this from the Washington Post that I think is pretty interesting. Fewer than four in ten black Americans say the national anthem makes them uh well, they, they they worded their headline in reverse of what I think it should be. The number of people that have a negative opinion about the national anthem is pretty damn low. Among black people, it's the highest, but nobody else does it crack 8%. So eight? Eight. Eight Dang. percent that have a negative view of the national anthem. You can find 8% of Americans who eat their own socks. You certainly... 8% is nobody. It's the lunatic fringe. Don't eat your own socks, well, there, people. There are no... Are you to tell me how to eat Hey, I'm socks? A, I look at YouTube and social media. There's 8% of people that think a cute little kid on their birthday is... They have a negative reaction to that. Right. Yeah, that's a good point. You so, call that a birthday party? You suck. So I thought this was interesting. Overall, adults in America... 71% positive feeling when they hear the national anthem. That would be me. 22% flat. Nah, neither negative or positive. It has no effect on me whatsoever. You're an interesting wow. crowd. And then 6% negative for all adults. Only 6% of people overall in America have a bad feeling about the national anthem when they hear it. Yeah. If you want wow. to break it down by races, uh, again, the among black people, it's the highest negatives. At 22%. So one out of five have a, a negative reaction to the national anthem if it's being played or sung at a sporting event but that's uh 
the smallest well, just number. one out of five. Thirty five percent of black people have a positive reaction to it. Forty two percent. eh, Whatever. That has no effect on me whatsoever. Um, I'm not sure that that's the view you would get from following this in the media. Oh, no, not at all. I'm In fact, I'm curious. What was the New York Times headline? Uh, Washington Post. Oh, yeah. fewer than four in ten black Americans say the national anthem makes them feel positive. Going with the the most negative headline you could come up with out of this story. Why does liberal America want a race war? I don't know. I th- well, it's the whole reaping the whirlwind thing that people don't quite understand. They think that they can whip up a race war, I guess, and then you know, kind of manage it. It won't get too out of control. Exactly. Don't worry. I'll say sit, and the dogs of war will sit. It won't last for generations with many people killed, and it becomes a completely different country. Yeah, if we start a race war, nah, that won't happen. Yeah, it'll be productive. Um, you want it broken down by other groups? How about Hispanics? That's the fastest growing minority in the country, right? Only 8% of Hispanics have a negative view of the national anthem when it's played at a sporting event. 67% positive. I'm sure. Oh, and, and why not? Asian, almost exactly the same numbers. Only 6% negative. Two-thirds positive when they hear the national anthem. For white people, it's 80% positive, only 3% negative. And then again, if you look at all adults, 71% positive, the vast majority of us, 22% have no reaction whatsoever. I don't quite understand that, I guess. but Yeah, I think that's a way to say neutral, maybe. Um, uh, maybe slightly conflicted, but I don't want to say negative uh, after the whole Colin Kaepernick flap. I'm but just overall, guessing. only 6% have negative. And like, I can name 10 people that I know that at least claim they have a negative reaction to the national anthem and the U.S. flag and that sort of stuff. Hmm. Is it just because of where I live? Or no, some of these people don't live around me. So, you know, you you hang around weirdos. You hear from the college girl crowd and, you know, that, you know, just certain crowds that it seems like everybody agrees. But but based on this polling, no. It's a very small number. I was at the Tampa Bay Rays game. Was it last weekend or the weekend? I guess the uh, weekend prior. Um, and uh, I was uh, on my way back to the seat with my waffle cone full of coconut shrimp. There you go. And my sweet tea because I was in the South. And uh, and the national anthem started. That's a and, pretty sugary little meal you got there. Sweet bam! tea and a waffle cone. Full of coconut shrimp. Yes. And, uh, <laughs> and the anthem came on. Which, and every- which is a vegetable in that scenario. There's no, I'm at the freaking ballpark. I don't think they have vegetables. Vegetables. I assume you had. A, I assume you had a beer. Are hops vegetables, or is that just just a grain? No, I did not have a beer. I had a sweet tea, as I said. It was a it was a day game, and I don't I don't drink in the day. You don't day drink. Almost never. What kind of a rule is that? I, almost never. There's I'm, nothing better than. I wish we had the country song day drinking. Day drinking is the best drinking. No, no, no. You know what song me, my kids not. really like is "Drunk on a Plane." Have you ever heard that song? <laughs> we should get that on the air more often. That's a good song. I've been I'm getting drunk on a plane. Right. <laughs> And if the airways just tells me I've had so many, I'm going to go up front and take it right off the cart. And it ends with him passed out in the baggage claim. That's a good tune. Anyway, back to you. As I've often said, Jack, I'm good at two things, not drinking and drinking. And if I'm doing one, I'm not doing the other. Mm. And so if I start, then I'm drinking. So I'd prefer not to start generally. Anyway, uh, where were we? We were discussing. Oh, so uh, there I was with my waffle cone full of shrimp and my sweet tea. Anthem comes on. Everybody, everybody stops, puts their hand on their heart, and tries to find the flag on TV 
or wherever it was. And and we listened to the anthem. A few sang along. I sang a bit myself. I have a lovely singing voice. And uh, then we went about our business. But it, it gratified me. It made me mm. feel happy and patriotic. And it was nice. And it was uh, folks of every description, every Nash, uh, ethnicity and the rest of it. So I was day drinking at a Kansas City Royals baseball game one time. And at some point during the game, I got very tired. I must have been up late the night before and mm. uh, took a bit of a nap and got quite sunburned. <laughs> you poor dear. You're so tired. I you was fell asleep. very sleepy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Somebody must have slipped something in that sixth beer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's unfortunate. It, it really is. You really need to be more careful. <laughs> Getting drunk on a plane. That's right. That's right. Getting drunk on a plane. Um, day drinking. The country music's the drinkingest music of all. Oh, there's clearly. no doubt about it. Clearly, what's the pot smokingest music? It's country, probably pretty. Easy. Country music mentions it a lot. Now. Wait a minute, does hip hop want some of this? Positive, Sean. I think hip hop and reggae have lapped the field in most other forms. things played yeah. on the radio. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. How about Both. rock? Come on, I could point out all sorts of songs that are about pot. They're a little veiled, particularly in hip hop. There's a, probably many times they reference it that you're not aware that that's what they're referencing could be. as well. Yeah, could be. Yeah, they do that a lot in the country songs. They never say they're smoking pot, but they're they're talking about smoking. They don't mean camel whites. Yeah, right, right. It's perverse. I call a radio station every time I hear one of those obscene songs, <laughs> and I register my unhappiness. Armstrong and Getty. Armstrong and Getty. This is the best of Armstrong and Getty. Simple prank, and it was harmless. I would never hurt an animal at all, ever. And I didn't know that it was the neighbor's goat because it was always at my cousin's house. So the fact that charges got pressed and now I'm facing felony charges is a little ridiculous, I think. I don't know what her intent was. You know, based on the investigation, the deputy certainly felt it was enough probable cause enough information to charge her with what she is charged with what is she being charged with painting a goat actually she's being charged with animal cruelty but there i did not see that coming yeah uh woman faces felony charge after stealing neighbor's goat and painting it (laughs) again she didn't paint a goat she painted a goat What did she paint it? A cow? She, she officials say she took her neighbor's goat and painted it without permission. This 34 Do you mind year old, if I paint your goat? See, that's all that was required. That's all she had to do. One simple, polite question. Just a courtesy. A 34-year-old woman arrested for the crime. Uh, a felony. The theft of any livestock is a misdemeanor, so she gets charged with that. Bond said at $6,000. Deputies say she removed the goat from her neighbor's property and brought it to her house to show her child. They say at some point she decided to paint the animal and post the photos to social media. Uh, when the She's... goat's owner discovered the animal was missing, uh, they called different neighbors and said, what did they say to the neighbors? Have you seen my goat? Uh, that's what they said to him. And uh neighbor said, I've seen photos of your goat painted on social media. <laughs> I shouldn't be laughing. This is a terrible story or something. I don't know. I don't think it is. The goat's going to be fine. The probably, goat is right? it's going just, to be it's perfectly fur. okay. Yeah, it, the goat appears to be fine. It's a cute little goat. I'm not exactly sure what the... I like the fact that she had to post bonds so she didn't, you know, skip town on that goat painting charge. <laughs> Go on the lamb, live the rest of her life on the run from the law. 
And the, I like the somebody captured the screen of the Fox 10 there, wherever this was, uh, Alabama. Um, and the picture of the goat and then the crying underneath that says, painted goat leads to felony charges. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good headline. That's good journalism. Hey, now that I know what happened, can we hear that clip again? It was a simple prank, and it was harmless. I would never hurt an animal at all, ever. And I didn't know that it was the neighbor's goat because it was always at my cousin's house. So the fact that charges got pressed and now I'm facing felony charges is a little ridiculous, I think. I don't know what her intent was. You know, based on the investigation, the deputy certainly felt it was enough probable cause, enough information to charge her with what she is charged with. She doesn't sound like a menace to me. Um, yeah, yo, you're going to be whistling a different tune when your goat is an unnatural color. <laughs> Tell you what, if somebody painted my dog, I'd be pretty pissed off. I don't remember how I came across this the other day. Uh, 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 at what age are you officially old? They have, according to science, they also have according to um, just surveys of people. And then, of course, the surveys vary depending on how old you are when you're asked obviously sure mm-hmm. yep obviously in fact i can give you a pretty good example of that young people for instance not surprisingly um have a much different view of it than than older 28 yeah well yeah when asked about youth millennials said that youth ends at age 40 you're no longer young after age 40 and then that might be about right um gen xers and boomers took a different view believing that youth is over by age 31 <laughs> Gen Xers and Boomers. Huh, okay. That is interesting. Older you, folks had the lower you know what? number. Okay, Boomer. I'm fine with saying that. Yeah, 30, youth ends youth? about 30. Grow up. Yeah. Yeah, okay. And get yeah, a job. Now that you're right. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, Pay your taxes. The silent generation believes youth ends at 35. Huh. Okay, so now I get this, the way this is being looked at. Millennials actually have an older age. You're like, no, I can keep uh, getting drunk every night and playing video games and living off my parents till I'm 40. I'm still young. The older crowd is saying, nah, 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 you're, you're, you're already, uh, you need to get, get your life going at, at like 30. Huh. I'm sure the crowd that had their third kid at age 24 thinks that. Yeah, yeah that's really interesting. Um, then when they ask um, what old age is, Pew Research Center found that those under 30 believe old age hits before you turn 60. 57 is the age. Oh, uh, old age hits. Yeah. Middle-aged yeah. respondents cite 70 as the start of old age. While those older than 65, and this is probably the crowd to ask because they know, mm. they say it's around 74. And that's the, huh. that is the crowd to ask. They know when old age hits. My parents know when old age hits. I was talking right. to my dad about it the other day. It's not yeah. theoretical. Yeah. I'm the wrong guy to talk to about this because, A, I'm a pain in the arse, and, and, B, I just... If you say age is just a number, I'm going to have to leave the room. Age is just really a number. <laughs> <laughs> no, it just it varies in so many different ways. I mean, I was hanging out the other day. I, I played some golf, and I was hanging out with a handful of guys in their 60s and 70s, and they were just hilarious. They're just funny guys. Well, uh, nobody you know, said you can't life. be funny at age 70. It's just whether you're older <laughs> I'm or not. I'm not saying that they did. <laughs> I'm just saying that if you, if you still have delight in your heart, you know, you're still fun and enjoying stuff, enjoying companionship and all. It's a, 
I don't know. That's that, that's the stuff of youth, isn't it? I don't know. I I don't know. Maybe I think about this wrong. I mean, my joints hurt all the time. That's not good. But I don't know. Maybe I'm just not willing to admit it. I think I see your 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 point is why even ask this question? Yeah, that is kind of my point. Um, I am what I am. <laughs> Popeye the sailor man, the great philosopher. <laughs> Uh, you remember I used to do the two different kinds of Popeye? That was yes. pretty funny. Were they, can't do it in You can't do it? I don't think I haven't even tried because in Because you're what now? Old. I'm old. <laughs> I can't do my Popeye bit. I thought I saw, yeah. I came across a couple of different surveys because I ended up Googling it and there's a bunch of different ones and they vary, but, uh, several that said old age starts at 57 on average, which I thought was an interesting number to choose, but. And again, mm. what does old age mean? What, I don't know what any of that means. Yeah, yeah I think I might yeah. actually come around to your way of thinking of what's the point of this question. <laughs> yeah, but, you're younger, I mean, Sean. Does it make any sense to you to have a point to this uh, question whatsoever? What do you define by youth? Right, it's a different age, age of stopping to getting hung over every day, as opposed to still finding joy in silly things. Right, like the, I, I think those are those both of those actions could be described as the actions of the young. One, I think, is much more healthy and acceptable to do later in life than the other. Mm. And there's one of them, uh, you shouldn't wear those jeans. Armstrong and Getty. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. Here's Armstrong and Getty. And when I saw them being so happy and excited about doing this wonderful transformative process to really, like, become their true selves... It was like, have I considered that this could be my situation, too? That's Grace Ladinsky-Smith, who was featured on 60 Minutes last night, a uh, transitioning uh, transgender girl, woman. Uh, she made a lot of interesting comments about the process and regrets, as did some other people. We'll play more of those clips for you in a moment. Got to admit, so I saw the, the tease for 60 Minutes at some point during the day, and I thought it was going to be another... Hey, isn't it great? Everybody's doing it. You should do it too, sort of trans story. And I thought, you know, I've, I've seen plenty of those. I just, I'll, I'll skip that. But right. I, I didn't realize this was the angle they were taking on 60 Minutes. That's, uh, fairly brave of them since a very popular book was banned on Amazon for even asking the question. A very serious book, by the yeah. way, and a good one about how and, and we've been saying this for a long time. I feel this so strongly. And there are legitimate uh, gender dysphoria issues or whatever you want to call I it. I believe it's real. Um, on the other hand, and, and, you know, I've often said, and I said this a lot when I was raising my kids, I'm just crazy enough to understand crazy people pretty well. And the, the people who are not comfortable in their own skin, they're uncomfortable. They're, they're uh, quirky. They don't quite fit in. They're unhappy, maybe. They think, what what will be, what is the key to me being happy and fitting in and being socially comfortable, the rest of it? There's got to be one. And and it's similar. I, I actually read about uh, the concept of uh, uh, geographical uh, lusts. Like, you think if I move to a new place or if I have a better wife or if I had a better house, then I would be happy. Then I would be comfortable in my skin. And And being a different sex... A different gender, I think, is that for a lot of people who are just not comfortable in their own skin, just not quite fitting in. And and they think if I became a guy, then 
it would be great. And then they become a guy, and they are the same person, just with the different appearance and different parts. And they have the same problems. And I just, I think it's tragic that people are rushed into this by a, let's go, as Jack said, the more the merrier, it's great, let's do it, let's not stop and think or counsel you to really question whether this is right, get on the conveyor belt, up with transgender. And I say that with all due respect and sympathy for anybody who's dealt with this sort of thing. Anyway, uh, here's more of uh, the always annoying Leslie Stahl with uh, young Grace Ladinsky-Smith in 21. Grace says she found a gender therapist on the Internet and told her, I'm thinking of transitioning. She thought it all sounded pretty good. Did the therapist not question you about how deep the feeling was and what it was stemming from? She didn't go really go into what my gender dysphoria might have been stemming from. We only did a few sessions. Then go on with 22. Because she was over 18 and didn't need parental consent, she says she nearly signed an informed consent form at a clinic and got hormone shots. They asked me, so why do you want to go on testosterone? And I said, well, being a woman just isn't working for me anymore. And they said, okay. So that was that. You got your prescription for testosterone. Mm-hmm. Yep. Wow. Simple as that. Again, nobody's saying, well, let's talk about why you might have these feelings. Nobody. Wow, that's really interesting. And finally, 23. Just four months after she started testosterone, she says she was approved for a mastectomy, what's called top surgery, that she told us was traumatic. You know, I'm kind of surprised because based on everything you've said up to now, I would have thought you'd have a great sense of relief. I started to have a really disturbing sense that, like, a part of my body was missing, almost a ghost limb feeling about being like, there's something that should be there. And the feeling really surprised me, but it was really hard to deny. And so she detransitioned by going off testosterone and then went back to the clinic. And she says, complained to the doctor that the process didn't follow the WPATH guidelines. I can't believe that I transitioned and detransitioned, including hormones and surgery, in the course of, like, less than one year. It's Whoa. completely crazy. Whoa. Yeah, yeah, it is crazy. Speaking of crazy, they talked to Dr. Laura Edwards-Leeper, who was the first psychologist at the first major youth gender clinic in the U.S., and uh, she has opinions about uh, what's going on in the field, 24 it greatly concerns me where the field has been going. I feel like what is happening is unethical and irresponsible um, in some places. Laura Edwards-Leeper was the first psychologist at the first major youth gender clinic in the U.S. at Boston Children's Hospital. She says she teens and young adults transition successfully after a comprehensive assessment. Do you have conversations with your colleagues about this whole area of accepting what young people are saying too readily? Yes, everyone is very scared to speak up because we're afraid of not being seen as being affirming or being supportive of these young people or doing something to hurt the trans community. But even some of the providers are trans themselves and share these concerns. How about that? I mean, we've been saying this for a long time. It's okay to deal with this stuff, but there's cheerleading for it. 
you're an unhappy, alienated person. And as soon as you announce, you know, I think I'm transgender, all of a sudden you have activists rushing to your side, cheering you, applauding you, encouraging you, pushing you down the line and making it clear that their approval is dependent on you going ahead with it. Well, That's what freaks me out. Yeah. So you've got the people that are cheerleaders for this for whatever reason they feel like the world would be better if there are more trans people. And then you've got people, I suppose, that are afraid that, man, if they don't, they aren't fully on board, they're going to get sued uh, in some manner. Or canceled. Or, I mean, we're, we're dancing on thin ice over here. Absolutely. Even talking about this. So the book we are talking about, uh, which we've talked about a number of times, When Harry Became Sally, Responding to the Transgender Moment, was written by a guy named Ryan Anderson, former senior research fellow at the Heritage Foundation, president of the Ethics and Public Policy Center, and it was just all about, you know, let's slow down, take a look at this, that sort of stuff. I've not read the book, but most people say it was, you know, it was not a, um, it was not like a partisan blasting of the idea. It was just asking questions and looking at some of the research that's out there and that sort of thing. And Amazon would not allow that book to be sold. Wow. So if Amazon's not allowing a book to be sold that takes a somewhat at all critical look at this, well, then, of course, I can believe that hospitals and doctors would think, I better not get in the way of this train or I'm going to be in big trouble. And then the other book I remember, uh, here it is, Irreversible Damage by Abigail Schreier, uh, The Transgender Craze Seducing Our Daughters. That one was banned from various platforms as well. Um, she's been on uh, various cable news shows, very persuasive, and again, a very serious woman. This is not some sort of... You know, and I don't mean to mischaracterize anybody in their beliefs, but it's not some sort of knee-jerk reactionary fundamentalism or anything like that. It's very carefully considered uh, arguments for caution when you, when you're talking about the altering human beings, especially kids. You know, before they fully thought this stuff through. Just a couple of more uh, clips from the show. This is uh, Leslie Stahl with uh, someone named Daisy, twenty-five. For Daisy in Chicago, who says she started taking hormones at 18, everything was great in the beginning. After every step that you take, every milestone feels like a million bucks. When I got top surgery, I was elated. When I changed my name, I was elated. But when everything that I had set out to do was done, I still felt incomplete. Yeah, what I was talking about. And finally, Stahl, Leslie Stahl with Garrett. Garrett from Baton Rouge, Louisiana, went from taking hormones to getting his testicles removed, he Ooh. says, in just three months, whereas the current guidelines call for continuous use for a year. He later got a breast augmentation, but instead of feeling more himself, he says he felt worse. So more depressed after you transition than before. Mm -hmm. I had never really been suicidal before. Um, until I had my breast augmentation and about a week afterwards, I wanted to like actually kill myself. Like I had a plan and I was going to do it, but I just kept thinking about like my family to stop myself. It kind of felt like, how am I ever going to feel normal again? Like other guys now. Wow. And then of course, 60 minutes makes the point that some states are overly restrictive and that's bad. Well, good for 60 Minutes for doing this story at all, though. As we mentioned with the, the Amazon thing, that, uh, you know, they won't even allow a, a, a book to be sold that, uh, you know, asks these questions, let alone taking a, uh, 
you know, a lot, uh, really giving a platform to this point of view. So, right. Right. Yeah. Surprising. Again, I didn't see the whole report. I just became aware of these people being on it. And we wanted to share that with you. Armstrong and Getty. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. Here's Armstrong and Armstrong and Getty. This is the best of Armstrong and Getty. So a great piece by David French, as he's part of the Dispatch crew. Uh, he, he often writes uh, stories from a Christian perspective. He's an astute political commentator. We've talked to him several times. I often disagree with him, but he's a, I think he's a fine fellow and, and sincere. Um, and he has a piece on the upcoming Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization. This is the Missouri, uh, I'm sorry, Mississippi abortion case that we've been talking about that the Supreme Court has agreed to take on. Uh, and he asked, why will this abortion case be more intense than any in recent memory? And I'm telling you, folks, the intensity of the political rhetoric and the demonstrations and the TV interviews and the, the, the tweets and all, it's going to be off the charts by the last five years' standards. Man, so hard to brace picture, yourselves. <laughs> hard to picture, but I think you're right. Yeah. So why so intense? Well, as uh, Ed Whalen pointed out in the National Review, the case provides an excellent vehicle for overruling Roe v. Wade, which we've talked about a little bit. Some people think it's a it's a good decision. Some people think it was a legal doctrine created out of thin air, and it's it's very wobbly. Um, but uh, people believe this might be the best opportunity the Supreme Court will ever have to end the Roe regime. You know, within reason, four reasons. Number one. The SCOTUS now has six conservative justices, so it can overrule Roe by a supermajority, and that just looks better. Second, because the conservative judges are relatively young, at least several of them are, the ruling promises to be durable. They'll be on the court for a very long time. Third, a ruling in early in Biden's presidency would grant states time to react to the decision before the election, meaning a lot of the dust will have settled. By the time an election comes along. And fourth, and this is extremely significant, and we'll back this up in a bit, but the Mississippi law is is relatively popular. There are only 29% of Americans who think that abortion should generally be allowed after the first three months of pregnancy, the first 13 weeks or so. And I don't understand how that doesn't get interjected into the conversation more often on cable news by someone somebody saying, you know, you're acting like this is an atrocity that we end abortion. It's uh, an extremist position that we yeah exactly it's an extremist position no a minority of democrats think you should be able to get an abortion in the third trimester right right again less than 30% of americans think that abortion should generally be allowed after the first trimester and we're going to get back to some of those stats in a minute but i wanted to finish up with uh, david french's analysis first uh, he says there are very good reasons why this agreement to hear the case, it's called a cert grant. Uh, anyway, why it's causing so much hope among pro-life folks and, and the opposite on the other side. Um, the most compelling argument is the Supreme Court could have done what they did every other time and just not take the case and let, let the case die, but they didn't. It only takes four justices to agree to hear a case, but the the behind-the-scenes truth is four justices rarely accept cert on truly significant cases unless they feel pretty confident that they have at least a fifth vote for the position they prefer. In other words, they're not going to walk straight into an assured loss. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. 
It doesn't. It does not guarantee an outcome of, uh, of course. And he points out, in fact, there were those who thought the Republican-nominated majority Supreme Court accepted review in Planned Parenthood versus Casey to overturn Roe. Instead, SCOTUS reaffirmed the right to an abortion. Interestingly enough, um, yeah. All right, the rest of it's kind of in the weeds. So let me skip over to something Jack has brought up several times, but I happen to have it at my fingertips: Americans' attitudes toward abortion which are remarkably consistent across time. And that's, you know, think about that. Attitudes toward gay marriage, universal health care, you name, you name the controversial issue. I mean, they've, the attitudes have changed completely on a lot of things. But abortion has been remarkably consistent. Uh, let's dig in. General belief that abortions should be legal plummets after the first trimester, uh, according to Gallup. And they've been studying this stuff for years. Do you think abortion should generally be legal or generally illegal during each of the following stages of pregnancy? Oh, and I'm sorry, an aside built on an aside. Pew has done some research on this, but Pew's questions are a great example of how a slight change in wording can change outcomes. Um, Gallup allows for the fact that generally illegal Understanding that people of good conscience might think that uh, a fetus that couldn't possibly survive outside the womb is sure. terribly deformed. Yeah. The woman's health is threatened to the point of death, whatever. Right. Virtually all of Americans say, oh, oh, well, that's different. So Gallup includes that. But <clears throat> what percentage say abortion should be generally legal in the first three months? It's almost always been a little over 60%. Right around 60 to 65% of Americans for a long time have said, yeah, it should generally be illegal uh, in the first trimester. It's mostly about the woman at that point. The, the fetus is, you know, blah, blah, blah. Oh, yeah, I don't need to explain it to you. You follow the issue. Okay, so around 60%. It should be generally legal during the second three months. Plunges down to the 20s. The 20s. That is unbelievable. Between 24 and 28%, depending on what year you ask it. Again, remarkably stable over the last 30 years. And that cuts across party lines, I know, because I've been looking at this for years, including, you know, Democrats. So, so many of these, you know, my, my, my body, my choice, blah, 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 all this sort of stuff, including on the left. Yeah, first trimester. But after that, no, no. It's the baby's body. Again, the percentage of Americans who are fine with mostly legal abortions in the second trimester, you can't scrape up 30% ever through the decades. Okay? The mainstream lemming media, the left lemming media, I may go with that. We're trying to come up with a good uh, descriptor, a good term to, to hit the lefty media with. The lefty lemming media would have you believe 90% of Americans, except for those lunatics. Uh, on the right, uh, want abortion legal all the time. And now you're about to get to the third trimester numbers, which I will remind people before you give me the numbers that um, any time any state tries to curtail late-term abortion, activists go nuts. Right, right. Because I think they believe if they give an inch, they'll lose everything or something. I don't know. Or they're just extremist but lunatics. The, but the lamestream media goes along with it, acting like it's an overturning of Roe versus Wade. And right. that everybody's in agreement with them and everybody else is a, with the media and everybody else is a lunatic. Oh, hey, remind me, it just flipped out of my mind. The 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 evil jackass from California, who's now the uh, HHS head. Becerra. Yeah, Javier Becerra. I want you to know Javier Becerra is in this last group. People who think abortion should be generally legal during the last trimester 
It's a similar number as believe George Bush personally brought down the Twin Towers and that the, the, the moon landing was faked. You can't scrape up 15%. Not even It's usually 8, 8 to 10 to 12%. Even your, likely, even your leftiest friends think third trimester abortion is should be illegal. Or if, or if they're asked in the right forum, they might say, well, it's a woman's right to choose just because they know they're supposed to parrot that response. But if you sat them and said, sat them down and said, no, I'm talking, there's no threat to the mother. It's just a baby that's a month away from being born. Are you really comfortable with aborting that child? In, in truth, they would say, no, no, I'm really not. There is practically nobody but Javier Becerra who believes in that. So long story short, you have two thirds of Americans who would say, well, you have a, the vast majority of Americans who would say, predominantly legal first trimester, extremely restricted after that. It would be a 10 minute negotiation. Yep. And uh, you'll be easily voted for with solid majorities, and it's not, it's not a controversial subject. And people who don't think Roe's a good decision think it should be in the legislatures for that reason. Armstrong and-